Well, boys. And that's how you lose the Baptists. Well, boys. Right. Top five theologians and monsters. Um, yeah. We, for those of you who are listening, we did this. We were we were going to do this yesterday. Well, we did it kind of. We got about an hour and a half mm-hmm. into it, and uh, one of my cohorts here uh, kindly pointed out that no one hit the record button, and so we just spent an hour and a half shooting the crap between one another. Yeah, uh, yeah. for absolutely no reason. Um. And so Ryan and well, I, I mean, there's a reason only for our you list, because but Clayton never got yeah. through his list. And so I, well, you know, yeah. So yeah, according to you, everything's predestined since we got through our list. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, the, the, the petals on my tulip are starting to wilt a little. Amen, brother. Good. Mm. So, <laughs> so uh, since Ryan and I actually wound up getting through our list yesterday, I think it'd be funny or fair, funny. It'd be fair, I think, if Clayton started us off today and then we'll go back and hit our lists. Okay. <clears throat> All right. So, um, it's a good thing too because I wasn't able to like meet, see most of your list because uh, you guys know I had to like walk away for a minute because I had some guy giving us a quote about uh, lights here at the church and anyway <clears throat> so these are this is quite a bit of a list um, I'm narrowing it down to actually five because that's what was asked but um, so two of these guys are dead the others are still living um, but the first one is probably Athanasius. <clears throat> I have learned so much in reading Athanasius. Um, I had always read quotes of him and enjoyed the like the Athanasian Creed. Um, but as far as really diving into his theology, I mean, really, really diving into it, I didn't do it until... Um, Center for Baptist Renewal put out their first year reading list. So this is a thing they've been doing for the past couple of years now. And they put out um, a reading list on early church fathers, a bunch of, uh, bunch of uh, stuff. So Maximus the Confessor, Athanasius, and others. So for, uh, the first one to read was uh, Athanasius on the Incarnation. And reading that was incredibly profound and just it was a lot up front because you just didn't realize uh that he's firing on all cylinders uh that much within those because if you ever have that book it's a very small book but it's it's very very good and profound so that's my first pick uh the second pick is probably john wesley i've learned the most from john wesley um, mainly because of his connection to the East. Uh, so my third pick was, is you're going to understand, explain this a little bit better, but I started reading Wesley 
and started reading people who read Wesley um, or have been, you know, students of Wesley or whatever it is. <clears throat> um, probably like last year, because I was really looking at the arguments for the other side of Calvinism, you know, does this make sense? Uh, does this other side hold water? And I found out that it does. And the best place to look for that, the best bucket to have when it comes to those arguments is Wesley. And started reading those things, started reading uh, his uh, big volume, uh, Predestination, calmly considered, even though he's not very calm in that one. Um, Christian Perfection, I think Christian Perfection was probably the biggest <laughs> one for me what convinced me of this because it's deep connection to um, theosis. And I know Ryan, you probably don't agree with that, but that's okay. You can be wrong and stupid. <clears throat> Brother, I'm not wrong and stupid on this one, but we're going to have a, we're going to have an episode about that. We'll debate that one out. Yeah, uh, that's fine. That's <laughs> fine. I would love to. Um, so, so reading that and just um, reading most of his essays and sermons and things like that and letters even to, uh, like him and Whitfield back and forth um, was really, really profound and exciting. Uh, speaking of Wesley, he was actually went to one of the, uh, I think it was like a priest of the Orthodox. I want to say it was the Greek Orthodox or the Antiochian. I forget which group he that part of, but there was a priest who actually laid, uh, who had actually anointed him for ordination, Wesley. Yeah. So there's a connection to the East more than hmm. you realize. <clears throat> so the third one uh, for me is Michael Gorman. Michael Gorman is teaches at the, uh, I forget, someplace in Baltimore, and it's the oldest Catholic um, school there in the nation. And but what if he what if he's in charge of he's in charge of the ecumenical department and so he's get like loads of different people aside from Catholic he gets the regular Catholic seminarians but he'll get like some Baptists who will apply to that and some other folks you know in the mix <clears throat> and his biggest um, his biggest books that I am reading through right now is um, inhabiting the Cruciform God. Kenosis, Justification, and Theosis, and Paul's Narrative Spirituality. And so basically, Gorman's entire stick is he is viewing Paul not in a sense of like new perspective, you know, those guys, even though I hang out with those guys most, um, but he's viewing it from a kind of participationist and a union and theosis uh, kind of understanding. Because theosis for me is very, very interesting and fascinating. Um, and so I'm embracing that more and more in my own life and, you know, understanding this, this nature of divine human life and how they participate with one another and how that is just a beautiful picture of how the church functions too. Um, so that's probably my third. Sure. Um, fourth is into your right. Now, N.T. Wright probably should have been on first, but um, N.T. Wright, I'm really just now starting to appreciate. Before N.T. Wright, <clears throat> I didn't consider him a heretic like everybody else, but I just considered him wrong on justification. 
But I think one of the things that's caused me to understand him more and appreciate him more and understand that this man is a genius is not necessarily of how he views justification, but what the nature of justification is. So Michael Gorman's the same way. And um, one of the things that I'm seeing is that he sees justification as primarily transformative. So is E.P. Sanders, which he learns a lot from. Um, so that's my kind of list. And I, and then Heiser, my fifth. Uh, Michael Heiser, I have learned the best on that. Uh, looking through his interviews, little conferences, and even um, um, just going through his podcast series, um, Naked Bible. That has really opened up the Bible for me. Is there any questions on these lists, Sorry, by the way? Uh, that's okay. Yeah, we, we kind of talked back and forth on them yesterday a little bit while you were while you were off. Um, but, I mean, other than you being wrong about Wesley, and uh, I'm not a big <clears throat> Richie Wright fan. I, I don't have much. I don't, have, I don't got much uh, for you on that. I, I, it's a pretty solid list. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to respect that. That is a pretty solid list. I like Heiser. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I mean, like we're, we're good Protestants. So none of us have any body, but four 1500s on our list. Uh, (laughs) um, But what was that thing you said yesterday, Ryan, about how uh, one you were listening to Al Stucky. What what was that? Oh yeah. Uh, Candace Owens, uh, her husband is a Catholic and he was, he's one of those guys that was a Protestant and converted to Catholicism because based is basically what he said. Uh, so he's one of those guys. And, uh, he was talking to Ali Beth Stuckey on Candace Owens show. And one of his biggest arguments was that Protestants believed that nobody was saved until Martin Luther. Um, which was one of the most astonishing things I've ever heard in my life. Um, because I personally, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I know a few people that really do think that deep down, mm-hmm. but you know, or at least not until, you know, until Calvin that said that they were saved. Um, but I, I, it just floored me because I had never heard anybody say right. anything like that before. And Candace was like, Oh, that's a really good point. Where, where, what planet is that a good point on? <laughs> like, Certainly wasn't Luther's point. Yeah, yeah. It's well, it's it's cer- it certainly wasn't the Protestants' point either, because no. it, because you got the trail of blood. You can't forget the trail of blood. <laughs> oh, geez. See, see, here's the problem. You don't realize how predominant you know that you is right here. Listen, man. If you if your church lineage goes straight back to John the Baptist without going to the Catholic Church, like I don't know, you you're one up and on me, man, because because my church wasn't even started until 1810. Like <laughs> no, like nobody got the body of Christ right until nobody got the body of Christ right until those three dudes in in Kentucky had that had that all night prayer meeting. <laughs> It's like our folks don't even know church history before 1810. It's like, it's like Jesus ascended. We got some dude named named Paul to write some letters and then stuff happened 
and now in 1810, you got three dudes starting the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. It was all just in a cattywampus state until then. Yeah. <coughs> and it's the same right. thing. You talk to some Methodists and you don't, you don't have any church history yeah. until about 200 years ago. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, when, when Wesley was walking around. So, I mean, yep. that, that is what that is. <laughs> the thing is about Protestantism is that we're the only people, only group of Christians that can say to the Catholics and the Orthodox, you're brothers. You're wrong, but you're brothers. Mm -hmm. Nobody of those two other sides, unless they're loose, can say those things. And we can even say, you're, you're a valid church. you got the word. You've got the sacraments there. Um, but they won't say it about us. No. Yeah. No. But we can only even, say that. No matter how hard John Francis Calvin, blessed be his name, um, said, <laughs> that, said that where the true church is, uh, is where the sacraments <laughs> is where the sacraments are administered and the word is preached. <laughs> yeah, Geneva was the only true church, though. Don't you know? Yeah. Well, until <laughs> until a certain pastor took over a church in Southern California, and then <laughs> and then there is two true churches, and oh, he yeah. is worth more than. All evangelicals, yeah, by one He's of his pinkiness. So many millions of pastors that you know. Hey, man. <laughs> Ryan, what's Ugh. your list? Yeah, All right, Ryan, what's your list, Ryan? What's your list, Ryan? So, with a correct view of this individual, number one falls at John Wesley. Mm -hmm. um, with a correct view of John Wesley, but. Um, I wouldn't be a, yeah I wouldn't be a good Methodist if it wasn't if it wasn't Wesley. Um, so going through with my extremely too thick book of all of his sermons. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I, the one volume instead of having the you know sixteen sets that a lot of people end up buying, um, it's just a lot nicer. Um, that reading all of the secondary writings that he had done has has done a lot for me. And you know, I don't, I don't agree with Wesley at the end of the day on everything um, or else I would still be in a Wesleyan denomination. Um, but I, Wesley is a hundred percent. I'd say the biggest influence on most of oh, my yeah. theology, at least. So definitely have to put him at number one. Um, the controversial one. Uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to uh, make it known. I'm, I'm going to make it before you move on for our listeners exactly why you love Wesley so much. And it's because you read this book right here. Um, I don't know if you can see it on my phone, but it's called uh, Querying the Church by Ethan uh, Osinski. Damn uh, it, why'd you have to talk about that book? And you know it's really upsetting? Who pub Does it say who publishes that book on there? Is it Abington? Abingdon? Um... I don't think it's Abingdon, actually. It wouldn't surprise me. No, it's uh, it's Cascade Books. Oh, I, mm. I don't. Okay. <laughs> it's surprising that it's not Abingdon with the screw ups that they have going on over at that publishing house. Um, I, you know, I, don't get me started on that. 
man, I, we could we could talk for hours on on all of that stuff. Um, it's like that message that I sent to you guys in the group chat the other day, where those people that guy made a a post on Facebook about the churches disaffiliating and quoted a oh, John yeah. Wesley Wesley letter completely out of context. Uh, to try and make it seem like we were terrible people for leaving the United Methodist Church. Yep. But yeah. that's a uh, that's a whole separate co- podcast that I might have to do on my own. Just to since I'm not there anymore, I can really speak the way I want to, um, <laughs> and without fear of being ripped out of a church or something. Um, and I already withdrew all my uh, my money. I'll set it up on accepted awards, my friend. <laughs> do what, Logan? I said he said he was gonna have to do his own podcast on that. I said I said I'll set it up on Acceptable Words, which is my podcast. Mm-hmm. Go check it out. Yeah, mm. that's one that. Yeah, I could go off on a, on for a few hours now. Now especially <laughs> that I'm not there anymore. Yeah, uh, since you've but, left that and gone to the Baptist. Yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. Sure. So um, number two on my list is the one that's going to be controversial to some people. Um, Tony Evans. Uh, Tony Evans is definitely my my number two guy. I actually just pesky universalist. Yeah, that universalist that's never actually taught it. Um, I ended up getting this book at that used bookstore today, um, which is one of his uh, earlier books, which is actually kind of cool. It looks like the precursor to the Kingdom Agenda book, which is like his like magnum opus work. Um, well, I guess you could say his Bible commentary is probably that now, but whatever. Uh, but Tony Evans played, when I first got saved, Tony Evans played a, a massive role um, when oh, I yeah. went through the the Kingdom Man class that my church was doing. Um, and that was, you know, a major thing. And I've, I've been with his teachings ever since, really. Um, again, you know, and he's a guy that's, so the way the way I always describe it to people is Tony Evans is like my John MacArthur, where he's like my main <laughs> yeah. he's like my main guy. Uh, yeah, but I'm not as scared to say that I think he's wrong about some things. Yeah, you know, um, <clears throat> you know the the main thing that most of the MacArthurites. Uh, would say that he's wrong on they'll they'll call him out for eschatology, but that's about it. Yeah, um, because a lot of those guys are all post mill. Um, but uh, which as am I, I am I'm post mill as well. But uh, don't make that face. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, you wouldn't be a good Presbyterian if you weren't post mill, right? At the end of the day, no, I know I, I'm too much of a good Baptist. Yeah, that's yeah, that's fair. Uh, well, tell that to like ninety-five percent of the Reformed Baptists out there. Uh, yeah, they don't count. They don't. They don't. They don't have opinions. They should be not listened to. Mm. Just mm. treat them like women back in the eighteen hundreds. Oh. Only in the kitchen. Mm. There you go. Make, make your craft beer. Make your smoked meats, and leave the rest <laughs> to the big boys. But, um, but yeah. Mm. So. Uh, but getting but yes. the conversation back on track, um, yeah, uh, I can disagree with with Evans and be very vocal about it. Um, he he is a pre mill dispensationalist. Can't get down with that. Mm-hmm. Um, his his newest his newest race stuff 
uh, yeah. I can't I can't really get behind it, which it, which is a shift um, because his other you know his previous stuff on race was was not that you know not where it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he's been he's been a pretty consistent point in uh, my going through and in, in ministry. So he's he would definitely be my number two. Uh, number three, Billy Abraham. Just, uh, just one the of old Irish. Yeah, one of the most solid people to ever step into a United Methodist circle mm-hmm. um, yeah. and not not give a damn about what anybody thinks. Nope. Him just nope. laying down the law of why they're wrong, and he was he was right a majority of the time with that. You know, mm-hmm. he's a guy that that played a major role. Uh, him and David Watson wrote a mm. book called uh, Key United Methodist Beliefs that was all orthodoxy. Um, mm-hmm. And when I was coming into the United Methodist Church, uh, that was a that was a book that was right on the desk at all times going through, you know, going through everything. And, yeah. Well, I, it wasn't necessarily that. It was just kind of a, you know, this is what we believe – on the orthodox side of mm-hmm. <laughs> of the train when it comes to this is our view of the lord's supper this is our view of baptism this is you know what i mean like the yeah. it was all those points and it was all solid and and it was fantastic um so billy so that's definitely abraham the third really helped like settle you in a like kind of a wesleyan understanding of theology yeah i would say i would say that he's definitely uh He's definitely up there on that list. Um, okay. I would say, of modern Wesleyan theologians, I, I would I would say that he was a major part of that. Uh, then you got guys, you know, uh, you could have a hundred uh, honorable mentions of people like Thomas Oden. Um, oh yes, guys like that. You know, um, paleo orthodoxy all the way, dude. Uh, one of I haven't even finished. I have one of the copies of classic Christianity that I've been slowly trying to work through mm-hmm. for, you know, about six months at this point, just when I can get to it. And it's yeah. just, it's so dense, but it's so beautiful. Like mm-hmm. the, the way that he wrote a majority of that book. And it's one of the only real uh, Wesleyan theologically systematic theology books out there. Yeah. There's not a lot of that. Um, and it's, yeah, I, you know, I remember reading an interview of Fred Sanders. Is Fred well, Sanders still Wesleyan? Don't know how to do systematic theology. They know a lot better than you, buddy. To be <clears> fair, <throat> he's right. We we yeah. really don't. <laughs> no, we really well, don't. Uh, that's because you guys were always first in line at the publishing house. Mm. That's the problem. But anyway, so as Fred Sanders, I was re- listening to um, reading an interview. He of owned the publishing oh. houses. <laughs> that's true um i was re- listening to a uh, interview of fred sanders saying that you know he grew up wesleyan i think he's i think he's still going to a wesleyan type church or, or either that he's switched over to the efca so I, I know he's doing quite a bit now i think he's doing quite a bit with the trinity divinity right now yeah 
um, um, which is it's sad to see because him in reading his little um, Wesley on the Christian life, I think is what purely convinced me on that, on those issues. Yeah, that's a solid book. I was surprised when Crossway was like, yeah, we're going to put out a book about Wesley. Yeah. Like, I was, you know, I was like, that's it's like everything else great. is purely Calvinistic. And it's like, we're going to do the one thing. And then more well, you have that. And then you have, they did a book called Why We Belong. Uh, yeah. And Timothy Tennant, um, the mm-hmm. president of Asbury Seminary, um, wrote the chapter on Methodists. Um, yeah. And it's a really great chapter. And most people don't know that like Timothy Tennant has a lot to do with Crossway, which is always, he's got articles in the ESV study Bible. Um, And I'm pretty sure he was a contributor to one of, one of the books. I just don't remember which one it is off the top of my head. Um, But uh, yeah, Timothy Tennant is another guy that could be on a, on a short list for, you know, honorable mentions. He's a powerhouse. Oh yeah. Um, But but back to the solid list here. <laughs> uh, number four is going to be Tozer, A.W. Tozer. There's not much bad that you can. Yeah. Yeah. That's I just gave that to a member at the at the church I'm at now. Um, so they could they could go through it. Um, one of my favorite things about Tozer. Is all of his writings are so theological, but they're mm-hmm. written in such a way that you know, your average layman can completely understand what he's writing and, you know, put it, get it all and actually understand it all, you know? So that's always been a big thing for me. Um, His, uh, his work on the Holy spirit is just, Mm -hmm. it's top notch stuff, man. It's just, it's great. And, you know, there's a little bit of a sense of pride that even though it's a, you know, it's an outskirt technically of wesleyanism he yeah he falls within he's part of the he's he's in that keswick stuff which is basically like modified wesleyan christian perfection stuff yeah yeah he and murray are the same camp yeah but uh yeah tozer is a big deal and i was surprised when i got to this church how many fans of tozer there are in that church really um yeah which made me happy um, one of the guys in our men's Bible study uh, is just in love with A.W. Tozer. It is one of the only guys that he reads, which I told him is probably an issue, but mm-hmm. he could be reading worse authors. So, you know, yeah. we can we'll have that conversation. Expand the variety. Time. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, you know, but he's a guy that grew up Assemblies of God. Uh, oh, you know, yeah. So that makes sense. It scratches the, the but, nostalgic. Uh, well, Tozer, Tozer, yeah, Tozer is was big Alliance Church, and yeah. you know he was, he, he, that's where he was ordained. I, I used to know yeah. a guy, and I think he's I think he's since I used to know a guy, and I think he's since passed away. Um, but he actually met A.W. Tozer a couple times, like many, many wow. years ago. He used to, he used nice. to actually work in the Alliance Church. That's and awesome. um, he said that A.W. Tozer was a fantastic preacher and a fantastic theologian, but he was a terrible pastor. Yeah, I've heard that. Basically, what whenever he would go pastor at a church, he would tell the board. And of course, this is just hearsay from that guy that I talked to. 
he Tozer would basically tell the church board, okay, I'm I'm going to be your pastor, but I'm not going to do hospital visits, and I'm not going to do funerals. I may do weddings, but I have to counsel with the couple for at least like so many months or even a year ahead of time. Oh, goodness. Mm. I have a book on the from the Alliance Church, one of the presidents, and I cannot remember what I did with it. But also while we're talking about Tozer, um, I have a friend who works in the United Methodist Church. He, uh, I've, I've mentioned y'all to him before, he, he's a youth pastor, and he's like on the conservative side of things, even though he's still in the denomination. But he's that guy I told you about that will actually show his kids like Doug Wilson videos and be like, see, this guy knows what he's talking about. Yeah. And um, he had like three or four kids who were graduating high school, and what he did for them was he bought them the big uh, Tozer on the Holy Spirit devotional. So it's like a 365-day devotional, and like each section is one of, Tozer, one of Tozer's like paragraphs or something that he's written about the work of the Spirit in the believer's life. And it's really, uh, it's really good, and it's really helpful for, for people. Um, and another thing I've, I'll mention about Tozer is that uh, there was a— um, biography that was written about him by a guy named Lyle Dorset, and once you pick up that biography by Dorset, you're not going to be able to put it down. Mm -mm. It's amazing. Yeah, uh, Bernie A. Bandywall, mm. rethinking holiness. I think he's in, he's in something with the Christian Alliance. Sorry, I had to like, like, hey, I have something to do other than Tozer. Yeah, so. Uh... Number five on my list, I'd put Adrian Rogers right there. Um, Adrian Rogers was another one of those guys that I've been listening to since I first got <laughs> saved. And uh, he's somebody that's just, you know, just always solid, always, you know, you can want to, you know, and you hear it from everybody that is a fan of Adrian Rogers that, you know, he preaches the word and he preaches it in such a way that anybody can understand it. And it's just, you know, you have all of his Adrianisms, as mm -hmm. they call them, um, that are just, it's awesome. I have one of the Adrian Rogers or Adrian Rogers legacy Bibles um, sitting nice. on my bookshelf. And it's just, a, it's just a, you know, it's not like a study Bible or anything like that. It's just kind of a, a standard, you know, New King James that has, mm -hmm. you know, all of those little types of Adrian Rogers quotes oh, yeah. throughout it when it talks about certain passages. And it's just, it's a great, great Bible. So one of the things that I have in my collection is uh, a series of cassette tapes where Adrian Rogers preached through the book of Revelation. And the reason why the set of cassettes is interesting is because this is a series on Revelation that he did back in the early to mid-80s. Today, if you were to go online and type in Adrian Rogers' Book of Revelation, what you would find is you would find injuries. You can buy that newer series today on his website, on Amazon, wherever, but you won't find this older set. Like, you got to go on eBay and, and just mm -hmm. really go out of your way to try to find it. And I found this I found it in a thrift store, and I actually had to go out and buy a cassette player just so I could listen to these messages. So, okay, my list. So, 
I'm going to get in trouble. Like my list is very ecumenical. I've got a classical liberal Episcopal theologian as well as an IFB pastor. And uh, these are in, yeah, these are in no particular order. Um, number one, I'm going to start with the classically liberal Episcopal theologian. He refers to himself as a high church Mennonite and a pacifist. It's Stanley Howarock. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and let me show you if you're if you're ever going to read one thing by Howaros just to get a feel for, for him, um, what is it? This one. It's it's you need to read Unleashing the Scripture, freeing the Bible from America, freeing the Bible from captivity to America. Yeah, that's the one. Um. Basically, he makes the argument that you cannot understand the Bible apart from the church, apart from the covenant community. You need the guidance of the church in order to understand what the Bible is actually saying. Um, and so I think that's and so I think that's very interesting. I think it's a very powerful concept. And I actually got introduced to Howaros, uh, oh, probably about ten years ago when I was. In my late teens, early 20s, I had a Tumblr account. I was one of those guys. Um, and I followed uh, some of the theology blogs that were on there at the time. And I saw a bunch of the, a bunch of the people that were on there uh, posting Howaross quotes. And it was mostly from openly liberal people who, you know, mm -hmm. were like PCUSA. Methodist or something, and I was just, I was just like, oh, you know, he's he's probably a liberal. But the thing is, the more I saw the Howaross quotes that were being posted and kept reading them, I kept thinking, you know, I don't think that means what these people think that means. Yeah. <laughs> and so I just kind of put Howaross's name in the back of my mind as someone to look out for, and um, I remember writing down a list of books that I was going to get, and I didn't find it until just a few years ago. And one of the books on the list was Stanley Howaross's commentary on Matthew. And so I was like, oh, I'll look that up. Well, I was looking at quotes, and one of the first quotes that came up when I entered in St Stanley Howaross was, Jesus is Lord, everything else is bullshit. Yeah, most theologically fat sound. And I was thing like, this ever. guy, I can get. yeah. So like, I can get behind this. Um, so I started look. So I just started consuming Stanley. Howell. I started reading his books. Um, I read unleashing. I read unleashing the scripture. I read resident aliens. Um, I read. Uh, I what was it called? After Christendom. Um, yeah. I every lecture that's on uh youtube and i read his um uh, i read his memoir hannah's child and, and hannah's child is powerful just the story of the story of how he grew up and got into theology and one of the things that really is he said uh you don't think you have to be a theologian in order to be a christian but i think i did mm. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I think I ended up. Um, so uh, we were talking about Will Willman the other day and how stupid he is. But I ended up finding this going through my books. 
uh, Lord teach us. And it is actually Howross and Will Williman um, going through the Lord's Prayer. Hmm. Um, and I realized that I've never even read it, but I found, I found it. It was probably something I picked up going to some type of Methodist uh, conference or something like that at some point. But it's it's the it's old though, so I, I don't know where I actually got it because the copyright date on it is ninety six. Um, so no idea where I got it from. But I, I'm gonna actually have to sit down and read it because that's before Will Williman became a heretic. So I'm down for it. <laughs> uh, so like Williman's name on it from like the mid nineties to whenever he started putting stuff out is solid stuff because uh, Will Williman hit his expiration date in the early two thousands. And now he's just spoiled. Oh, he is just, he is just the most liberal of, I can't stand the man. I can't even, I was trying to listen to an interview with him the other day. Um, the other day, meaning probably like three months ago, but uh, and I just couldn't even get through it. It was just so pretentious and so annoying that I just couldn't. I couldn't even sit through it. So number two on my list is Phil Kid, and mm. the reason I okay, I'll tell you how Phil Kid got on my list. He got on my list about two years ago. Um, whenever I was started getting into the recovering fundamentalist podcast and listening to those, those guys' stories of how they got out of the IFB and mm. they actually brought Phil kid on to interview him. And mm, I remember that of one. course I remember that whenever I would put Phil kid's name into YouTube, I've known about him for a while. I would put his name into YouTube and I would just get bad preacher clips where he was just saying some awful racist stuff. And I just couldn't believe the outrageous things that he was saying, and I thought were terrible. But whenever I listened to them grill him and ask him questions on the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast, it was like, oh, he has changed a bit. Like he he never used the words, you know, I'm sorry I did those things, or I saw I'm sorry I said those things. But he, yeah. he did kind of say, you know, I said did some stuff when I was younger that maybe I shouldn't have said and did. Mm. And it was like, Oh, he's okay. And so I went back and I actually listened to, I started listening to full sermons of his on YouTube. And, and I was blown away by how much I was agreeing with him. Like about the only, about the only, time I would start disagreeing with whenever he would start on eschatology, you know, because he's premillennial uh, dispensationalist. Um, and then when he would start talking about American exceptionalism, you know, because he's a, he's a mm -hmm. big patriot. Um, like those are the only two areas where I would, where I disagree with him, but everything else, it's like, this is really solid. Why does everyone hate this guy? Is it just because he's loud and swings his leg over a pulpit sometimes? Who cares? It's just, it's a difference of style. So here's here's a question that I have. Uh, like, and why is it so that generation 
right uh, of preachers and it doesn't matter what your what background you're from i guess you could say they're all pre-mill dispensationalist like all these guys like mm -hmm. why is that such a thing other other than the influence of moody on a majority of these guys i think that's it you think I'll, that's I'll the only reason why. i don't know if it's the only reason but i think it's the uh, majority i think it's the main influence I think that was the main influence in like the early, early to mid 1900s. But I don't think that's the only reason. Um, I think that was the main reason for the early to mid 1900s. And then I think um, in, in the mid seventies when TBN was started, mm. uh, because you, you now had preachers on television and most of those, most of those charismatic guys who were on television they're pre-mill, they're pre-mill dispy guys, right? And so, um, now that you've got preachers on television, they're gaining popularity. Now that they're gaining popularity, they're gaining more money because people are sending in their love offerings to keep them on the air. Mm -hmm. um, so, with all that money, they're able to publish more books and get more stuff out there. And so, the, I think, I think uh, the advent of TBN seventies uh, really. Uh, drove the premillennial dispensational bandwagon, and it doesn't. Mm. It didn't help that uh, it it didn't help that MacArthur uh, was already on yeah. that dispensational train by the time he got popular. Uh, so I think I think between TBN and John MacArthur, those two really drove the premill dispensational train as far as yeah. that is concerned. Yeah. But back on back on Phil Kidd. Um, I, I started listening to him, and of course, he, you know he's loud. He throws he he's loud. He shouts a lot. He throws his leg over the pulpit. It's like I grew up Pentecostal. Like whenever I listen to Phil Kidd, I'm back at home. Yeah, yeah. And that's, on the I mean, that's, I, so that that's really on the point of him uh, actually being able to apologize on certain things. Um, I think is pretty important when you think of the group that he's associated with. Because a lot of those guys are not guys that are, you know, that will apologize for anything. And they're not guys that are, you know, you, you think of the Steven Andersons, mm -hmm. right? You know, um, who are just, you know, going to throw Molotovs through every window that they can uh, to get to where they want to get, you know? Well, and yeah, I, and Steven Anderson's another one of those guys that, I mean, I don't like him. He's definitely not on my list, but. Um, it's interesting the way people take him out of context, like they take Phil Kidd out of context, right? So they'll mm -hmm. get they'll get clips of Stephen Anderson, um, and they'll say, "Look at this crazy preacher! Look at him! Look at what he does!" And then when you go back and watch the whole thing, it's like maybe there's some rhyme and reason to this. Not always. I'm not going to sit there and defend yeah. Stephen Anderson like all the time, but it's like maybe he's not as anathema as we thought. Um, like I'll give you a good example. Uh, there was a clip that went viral of Steven Anderson about two or three years ago. Back, I remember this was back before the pandemic because I, my wife and I were living in our uh, two-bedroom apartment in 2019. And um, I remember watching this viral clip of Steven Anderson kicking this guy out of his church. 
and he and the the clip was like three and a half minutes long, and he just talked about how horrible the guy was, talked about all these sins this guy had committed against the church, and just told him to get his crap and get out of the church. And it was like, can you believe this hateful, awful pastor kicking his parishioner out? Um, well, I got curious. The curiosity got the best of me, so I went to Faithful Word Baptist Church's website, and I listened to the whole sermon, like the mm. whole hour and a half long sermon. Oh gosh. And, I started playing it, yeah, and because I, I was curious. I was like, what prompted Steven Anderson to do this, other than is he really just crazy? Um, I listened to it, and about, oh, 30 minutes into the sermon, um, this guy that Steven Anderson would kick out of his church gets up and starts interrupting the sermon. So this guy jumps up and starts trying to interrupt Steven Anderson, and to Steven Anderson's credit, he just, you know, he ignores it a couple times, tries to, you know, he just tries to move on. Well, this guy interrupts like a third or fourth time, and Anderson just loses it. And he says, yeah. listen, you coward. He said, I, he said You've been, you're the one who's been trying to cause trouble in this church for, you know, however many weeks now. And he says, I've tried to reach out to you and talk to you one-on-one -on -one like a man. The way the the way Matthew eighteen tells me to do, and I've got texts right here that show that I've tried to meet up with you, I've tried to talk with you, and you don't want any of it, and and he just lambasts the guy, and it's like, oh, okay, so he's got proof that he's tried to do the Matthew eighteen approach, he's got proof that he's went to the elders, deacons, or whatever they have about the issue, and the guy hasn't responded to any of that. And now that he's up here trying to interrupt the sermon at Stephen Anderson's church, Anderson's finally up. And it's like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, and Stephen Anderson is such a, a weird character. And I know that we're way off of, of kid at this point. Um, but, you know, you hear him and when he's doing like the perfect example that always comes to my mind is the interview that he did with James White mm -hmm. uh, where they sat down and they talked about Bible translations and he seemed like just such a, you know, respectful, reasonable nice guy, reasonable guy that just had a different opinion. And, you know, you compare that to the guy that stands, stand, literally stands on top of his pulpit. Mm -hmm. um ranting and raving and you're kind of like why where is the disconnect here like, that's the ife culture because yeah, it's, it's, it's just, the most acceptable thing for you and i to have different conversations like one-on-one -on -one and, and like this is my voice right you know this is my voice the only difference between me and steven anderson when it comes to preaching is the emphatics and the theatrics of his preaching, because it's very mm -hmm. common in IFB and probably even Pentecostal circles as well to change the way you speak and change the way you act the yeah. moment you get behind the pulpit. Yeah, it's just it's it doesn't make any sense to me. And, and mm -hmm. you know, I have my issues with the IFB guys because I feel like, you know, uh and it may just be the clips that you see everywhere, but I, I just I just have such an issue when you point so much of your ministry to just, you know, it's the same thing I have with a bunch of the guys that just do discernment ministry stuff. Yeah, they're the same way. They're exact same yeah. persons. Yeah, and it's just, it's so, now, I, like, I, don't, I just... Now, I don't want to get too far off into the weeds here, but we, 
you know, we, I think there's a distinction between guys like Phil Kitt and guys like Steven Anderson uh, in some way. Like, they're both IFB-ish, but, mm-hmm. but I've noticed a lot of old people are classifying Steven Anderson and some of the guys in his circle as new IFB. Like, I don't know if you've heard of that, Clayton. Yeah, um, I've heard it. But but there seems, yeah, so there there's, seems to be a distinction between old IFB and new IFB, and I'm not sure what the distinction is. I, I honestly um, don't know. I think the, it's like the newer generation know. of IFB. Yeah, I think it's more just a generational thing than anything else because you listen to the sermons. I mean, they really talk about a lot of the same stuff for the most point. It's just, you know, I, I think that there's a generational gap in the way that they handle certain things, maybe. Um, I think the perfect example of that is, I forget the guy's name, um, but he's the Asian uh, IFB oh, guy. Yeah. that called, Like uh, Jeff Dirtbin. Um, that, was yeah. one of his, that was one of his deals. Um, I, I think that and, I think it's more know, crass I, and yeah, I, I think some of the newer, younger generation generation is, a, is yeah, a little more crass in the way that they, you know, handle certain situations. Um, but I, that's the only thing I can really think of that, you know, would make any real distinction there. Yeah. So going back to, you know, like I said, not to get, too far out in the weeds going the list um another thing that really that i really appreciate about phil kidd is that he's become as he's gotten older he's become almost ecumenical in a way Uh, Mm. i mean as far as as far as phil kidd can be ecumenical but like he's willing with he's willing to work with pentecostals which is something that ifbs haven't done in the past and i think the big proof of that is the fact that phil kidd will have his son come and preach for him. And his son has gotten into ministry and gotten into the Pentecostal charismatic movement. Mm. Okay. Hmm. And like his, and what, and his son, and he'll, he'll go preach at his son's church sometimes too. So, you know, it's, it's, it's like, well, what's what's the big difference? Well, there's not really a, a difference in in the way that they present themselves. They might have doctrinal disagreements behind closed doors, but they understand that, you know, they're father and son. They're both brothers in Christ. You know that. Yeah. Know, they both use a King James Bible because that's important in their culture. Um, you know, it's 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 ecumenical in a way. Um, mm. Number three on my list because I know um, I know Ryan, you got to go here soon. Number three on my list is Doug Wilson. Um, I, I like Doug Wilson uh, because he's he has a way of looking at the world that I think is not to borrow Fox News's term fair and balanced. Um, Doug, which is not to say that Doug's wrong on, which is not to say that Doug is is not wrong on some issues, because I do disagree with him on some things. Um, you know, he and I are going to have a different approach when it comes to women in ministry. I will say that I think women can be pastors and elders, and I'll gladly take flack from y'all for that. Um, but, and I would probably take, I know I'd take flack from Doug Wilson about it, but mm-hmm. I appreciate the fact that Doug Wilson um, can look at the culture the way he does and call out sin the way he does. And I think it takes a lot of boldness to do what he does. Yeah. And so I appreciate about, I appreciate that about him. Um, 
and if for, for those who are interested in, in really getting to know who Wilson is as a theologian, there are two books that I highly recommend. Uh, the first one is Easy Chairs, Hard Words, where he kind of lays all of his Calvinism out on the table. And the second one is Joy at the End of the Tether, which is basically his running commentary on the book of Ecclesiastes. Mm-hmm. Um, both, both of those books are really good. Matter of fact, when my wife and I started dating, um, the first two books we read together were uh, Night Driving, Notes, from, Notes of a Prodigal Soul by Chad Bird, and we read Joy at the End of the Tether by Doug Wilson. Nice. Nice. Um, nice. I do think so it's interesting. That I, you I blame Doug Wilson. James only uh, uh, Presbyterian to go on your list, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Doug, like you, you're not going to get Doug to use an ESV. Like, no, no absolutely he, not. He may no, use. He's going to stick with King Jimmy. And he's got his boys over across politics yeah. on that train too, don't he? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, he he's got them on that on that train as well. Uh, but by the way, don't get me started on cross politics because <laughs> I that that there's just like I said, those are just some areas where I'm going to disagree with Wilson. Um, number four on my list, and I'm going to catch flack for it, but I'm going to say it anyway. Number four, top five pastors, theologians. These are people who have influenced me. Uh, Mark Driscoll, mm. and here's why Driscoll's on my list. Um, Driscoll's on my list because every single 18 to 20 something in the mid 2000s were looking for solid theological answers. And whenever they went searching on the internet, they found two people. They found John Piper and they found Mark Driscoll. Mm -hmm. And, and they also saw that John Piper and John Piper and Mark Driscoll had a working relationship there for a while. Yeah, uh, for a minute. And yeah, and so I found Mark Driscoll at a time in my life when I was trying to explore what I believed and why I believed it. Um, and Mark Driscoll really, you know, answered a lot of questions that I had that nobody mm-hmm. else was answering. Uh, Mark Driscoll was the first guy I ever saw to preach through a book of the Bible. I grew up all my life in church. No one had ever done that. I, you know, I asked my grandpa, who was a preacher, I was like, hey, have you ever done this as a pastor? He's like, no. I was like, why not? Well, that's just not how the Spirit led me, son. And <laughs> it's like, well, have you ever known pastors to do this? Nope, never known pastors to do that. The only time we would go through a book of Sunday school and maybe a midweek Bible study is for going yeah. through books of the Bible. Sunday morning and Sunday night in the pulpit is for just, you know, picking a passage and yelling mm-hmm. about whatever's going on in the culture. Yeah. Um, so I think Mark Driscoll so, was the so first weird. guy that I ever saw. That... Oh, why do you say that? Because I don't know if it's because, so I've only, the we we got to take into account that I, I have a very mainline background with both the Episcopal Church and the uh, United Methodist Church. Um, so you know a lot of those guys are lectionary to the core is what they do, and even with the lectionary though, if you follow the lectionary, 
in ways that I would argue are the right way, you're going to be preaching through books of the Bible mm-hmm. as you oh, go yes. through it, you know? Yeah. And you're going to, you're going to cover a good chunk of at least the new Testament throughout, throughout the year doing it that way. Now it's not a perfect verse by verse, you know, uh, go like through, but like, know. yeah, yeah. Like, like we would know, but I mean, the perfect example is when I first started in the United Methodist church as, as a pastor, I did an entire series through Colossians, just following the lectionary, hmm. you know? So it, I don't know. I, I just, I, I think it's almost weird because of the, the setting that I was in, I guess I could say. Well, no, and I, I see how you would think that. Um, but, you know, growing up the way I did, which was basically, you know, I grew up, I grew up Pentecostal, but our particular flavor of Pentecostal wasn't Assembly of God, even though we attended some Assembly of God churches. Um, our particular flavor of Pentecostal was like, IFBs who spoke in tongues and didn't believe in eternal security. Right. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty much it. And so we, the, the preachers that I grew up around, they don't know what electionary is. That's too big a word for them to use. So they, they don't really know. They don't understand the Bible as narrative. They don't understand mm-hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of, cause a lot of them were not formally educated on a theological level um which is not to say that which is not to say that some of them weren't good preachers because because there were some good preachers um so you know ryan we'll see you later buddy he's got to cut out uh or no clayton's got to cut out Uh oh ryan you yeah, got to cut out too here pretty soon i might have to i might have to run through this real quick uh, so Mark Driscoll's on my list because of expository preaching. Number five, John Calvin. Um, John Calvin, Institutes of the Christian Religion. That, if if you're yeah. listening, it, let me just let me just go back to my Pentecostal altar call roots and say, for those of you under the sound of my voice right now who have never committed your lives, <laughs> <laughs> you need to pick up a copy of the institutes of the christian religion even if you don't even if you don't agree with calvinism even if you don't agree with predestination calvin himself probably would not be a five-point calvinist i know that's going to tick off mm-hmm. a lot of people especially my fellow reformed folks but but i bet i i can make a strong argument um i can make a strong argument that calvin himself probably did not hold the limited atonement um mm. If you go back and actually read what he said about the atonement and about the effects of the blood of Christ in, in the institutes, he, I think it's fairly clear that he did not hold to a limited atonement. Um, but Calvin himself, just his life and his legacy has been so helpful for me uh, just because of the way he was dedicated to the craft of preaching and just because of the way he was dedicated to the scriptures for his people. And people want to say, oh, he murdered Servetus. He murdered Servetus. He didn't murder Servetus. If anything, he tried to he tried to save Servetus because Servetus yep. was um, egging on the fact that his the doctrines that he was preaching were illegal. And one of the things I've heard from Arminians was like, oh, Servetus was murdered because he was a Baptist. No, he wasn't murdered because he was a Baptist. He was put to death judicially because he was preaching modalism. Yep. Which is yeah. what, what, 
And that's something that I've always I've always pushed back on um, because I think that 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 storyline, you know, if you did just actually do the research into the history, that storyline is just bunk. You know, it's it's just not there historically. If Calvin was trying to when Calvin said that they needed to kill him the way that they killed him, it was to make it as least painful as possible. You know, so it it was, you know, it was in a way a he was trying to show some type of mercy because he was dying no matter what. Right. And and even before it got to that point, Calvin wrote letters to Servetus pleading with him to stay out of Geneva. Um, And it wasn't just, hey, stay out of Geneva because you're a heretic and you shouldn't be preaching this nonsense. I mean, there was some of that, but the letters were out of compassion please don't you will be killed yeah absolutely yeah and yeah, so I've never and been so that, a fan of that argument yeah and so those are my five stanley Hauer, osville kid doug wilson mark driscoll john calvin and i will say as the uh the only uh armenian left in the room with you i have i have the institutes i haven't read through all of them um but i do own the institutes and, you know, I would even say myself, you know, to go through and read the institutes for sure. Yeah, it's there's still actually some a group- of the most comprehensive work on Christianity that that you can get your hands on even to this day. Oh, absolutely. And, and there's a group on Facebook. Um, I used to be a part of it. I'm not I'm not anymore uh, just because I just haven't gotten on there in a while. Um, but there's a group on Facebook that have actually where you can actually read through the institutes in a year with people and they have developed a one year reading plan for the institutes. Hmm. That's kind of cool. It it's it's pretty neat. I, I will say that. Well, Clayton had to leave and I think we got yeah. through all of our top 5 and we're about an hour and 32 in. You're going to have to cut a lot of this because we were just acting up. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll cut through it. I'll make it all digestible. Well, I think that's it for for those of you who stuck with us this long. Thank you for listening and uh, join us in a week, a two, two weeks. I don't know. We we do this because it's fun, not because we have to. Um, But join us again on two men and a baby baptizer.